0: Well, if you are new with us, we have been uh, walking through a series in the book of Genesis, uh, and we're in Genesis chapter 27 this morning. And so if you've got your Bible, you can make your way to Genesis chapter 27. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, good news, we have one for you. Uh, Over there on that table, if you didn't grab one on your way in, you can go grab that and you can keep that. That's our gift to you as a church. We uh, really want you to be able to have a copy of God's Word for yourself and be able to engage with Him uh, in and through his word, but Genesis chapter 27 is where we're going to be. We've been looking at the life of Jacob, and this morning we come to a really famous story in the life of Jacob when Jacob uh, deceives his father Isaac and steals the blessing from Esau. And so as we uh, walk through this story together, we're going to see that this idea, this reality of blessing, it's, it's really not just something that was important for them. Uh, it's actually the central issue of our lives as well, that, that all of us are looking for this same blessing. And so we're going to walk through this text together, uh, and what we're going to see in this text is the power of blessing, the need for blessing, and the hope for blessing. The the power of blessing, the need for blessing, and the hope for blessing. And so let's look at it together now. We'll take it in a few uh, different scenes, but starting in verse 1 of chapter 27, the very word of God to us today, it speaks to us like this. It says, When Isaac was old... And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves." And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me." So Isaac, by this point, is older, uh, and he's gone blind, and so he he doesn't know how much longer he has, and he wants to bless his older son, Esau, uh, before he dies. Now, something we immediately see here, and we're going to see it all throughout the chapter, is that uh, everybody in this story is doing wrong. Like, everybody here in this family is sinning. I, I mean, take heart, like, this is a super dysfunctional family. Uh, if you are looking for a model family to kind of emulate and be like and pattern yourself after, you're just going to have to look somewhere else in the book of Genesis. Like, it's just not in here. Uh, because Isaac knows the word that God gave to Rebekah when these two boys were first born, that the older Esau was going to serve the younger Jacob, that Jacob was going to be the one that the promise and the Messiah's line would continue through, that Jacob is the one that is supposed to be blessed. Uh, but if you remember what, what it said in chapter 25, it said that, Esau, uh, that Isaac loved and favored Esau. And, and so he takes Esau to this back room, and he, and he wants to bless him before he dies. And so he says, go hunt me some game, cook it and prepare it for me, and then feed it to me, and, and I will bless you before I die. Now, if Isaac didn't think he was doing anything wrong, he wouldn't have done this in secret. This would have been a big ceremony, big affair, kind of a thing that had this momentous significance and symbolism. It was a massive event in the life of a family because this is when the father is kind of passing on the the blessing and the leadership of the family from a father to a son. It would not have been done in secret. It would have involved the whole family. But yet Isaac is doing this in a back room, in secret, because he knows he's in the wrong. And Rebecca overhears what he tells Isaac to do, uh, and she loves Jacob, and so she hatches a plan to make it so that Jacob can steal the blessing. Now, now listen, Jacob is the one that's supposed to be getting the blessing, right? Right. And, and so she's not in the wrong there. But but what is she doing here that's wrong? Well, in a healthy marriage, uh, what is there a lot of that there's absolutely none of going on here in the text? Communication, yes, communication, right? Like in a healthy marriage, you'd expect them to be able to sit down and say, hey, look, I know you love Esau more. I know you favor him. But look, we've got to do what God says. God already said that Jacob is the one that needs to be blessed. You need to bless Jacob. But she doesn't do that. Right? Instead, what happens? She overhears what Isaac is planning to do, and she's like, oh no, Uh, he's going to give the blessing to Esau. I've got to figure out a way to deceive my old blind husband. And and look, it's the same story for Jacob too. Like what Rebecca and Jacob are doing here is what we saw over and over and over again in the life of Abraham. They, They are not trusting God to fulfill his plan. They're trying to take matters into their own hands. Like if Abraham's story had taught them anything, surely it should have taught them that nothing is too hard for the Lord. That that he can accomplish his his purposes uh, no matter how difficult it seems and no matter how unlikely it seems, he's always going to be faithful to fulfill his word. He's always going to do what he says. And, And so both Rebecca and Jacob should know God has made this promise about Jacob. It is going to come to pass. He doesn't need any help from us to accomplish it, but instead they say, no, we've, we've got to trick our old blind man and make sure that Jacob gets the blessing. And so Rebecca hatches this plan as to how they're going to get this blessing for Jacob. Uh, and at first, Jacob's got some doubts about her plan. Uh, because if you remember, uh, chapter 25 said that Esau was a hairy man and an outdoorsman that loved to hunt, uh, loved to be outside, and uh, that's not Jacob it said that Jacob is a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Now I resonate with that because I too, like him, am an avid indoorsman. Uh, I'm just very passionate about the indoors. Uh, But because he's a little bit more passionate about the indoors and he's a smooth man, uh, he doesn't smell like animals and forests like his brother. He smells more like books. Uh, He's like, hey, if I do this, dad's going to figure out pretty quick that it's not Esau and it's me and he's going to curse me instead of bless me. That's not going to go well for me. Uh, But Rebecca's already thought through that as well. And so look in verse 14 at what she tells him to do, what she's going to make him wear. It says, so he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious foods such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And so Jacob goes into his father's room covered uh, in Esau's clothes, covered in animal skins. Which like, how hairy did Esau have to be uh, for Jacob to go in and for Isaac to be like, yeah, it it sounds like Jacob's voice, but it's definitely Esau's hands. I mean, like that dude had to have been like a Wookiee, like walking around like Chewbacca. I mean, he probably got mistaken for Bigfoot when he's out hunting, right? Like just an incredibly uh hairy man. He is very fuzzy. Uh, but Jacob comes in and brings him this food. And first, he lies when his dad asks him who he is. Uh, and then he blasphemes when his dad asks him how he got it so quickly. Uh, I know I said I'm an avid indoorsman, but I do know uh, that hunting, cleaning, preparing, and and cooking game—it's not a quick process. That's not something that you can do quickly. But when he's asked about it, Jacob blasphemes. He says, it's because the Lord was with me, giving me success. That's how I got it so quickly. Uh, but Isaac still isn't convinced, so he wants to feel him to know if this really is Esau. And so he fills him. He still has his doubts uh, because Jacob just probably can't seem to get the voice deep enough. Uh, he's still thinking it sounds like Jacob's voice. And so finally his, he says, why don't you come near and kiss me so that when he comes in to kiss him, uh, he can smell them and see if it really does smell like Esau, which is a pretty smart move on Isaac's part, right? But when Jacob leans in to kiss him, he smells the smell of, uh, of Esau's clothes on Jacob, and so then he blesses him. He's convinced it's him, and he blesses him with this blessing, a blessing that repeats a lot of the same language uh, of the blessing that we've seen that was given to Abraham, clearly showing that this blessing is going from Abraham to Isaac To Jacob, that Jacob is going to be the one that's blessed. Now, I I think at this point, we've got to kind of pull back and and ask the question that I think all of us are asking, uh, which is, like, why is this blessing so important? Right? Like, why why could Isaac not just, when he realized what had happened, just take it back from Jacob and give it to Esau like he wanted to? I mean, does he think this is kind of like a magical incantation that has no take-back seats? Like No, he doesn't think that, and I think we've got to take our idea and our understanding of blessing out of this if we're going to understand uh, what's going on here. Uh, Tim Keller's really helped me understand the, kind of the significance of this and why this text plays out the way that it does, and uh, he quotes a Hebrew scholar who talks about how uh, the blessings that are, that he makes the point that the blessings here in Genesis are not like our idea of blessing, which is really... Uh, Our idea of blessing is just kind of wishing someone well and saying nice things about them, right? But, But that's not what's going on here. The idea of blessing here is so much deeper than that. The idea of blessing back here in Genesis understood that spoken words, especially in a symbolic ceremony like this, and especially from a parent to a child, have uh, deep and abiding power in our lives. They have the power to shape and form and give direction to our lives for years to come. That, that symbolic actions and symbolic words and ceremonies like this, like they have abiding, won't leave you power in our lives. And look, I think we all get this, even if we don't refer to this today as blessing and cursing. Just think about how for many of us, Comments that that were either made to you or about you when when you were a kid are actually still with you today, still exercising power over your life. Like, think of how they've shaped your identity because you haven't been able to shake them. Think about how maybe in the ways that your your mom communicated, whether it was explicitly or implicitly, that you just weren't good enough for. or, Or the way that your dad communicated that that he was really, his love was dependent on your achievements. that That's really when he was pleased. That's really when he got excited and really approved of you. Or the way that somebody bullied you for your appearance or your lack of intelligence or your lack of strength. Like some of us have these small, kind of throwaway comments that somebody made to us or about us that have just lodged in our memory uh, that we haven't been able to shake and that have driven us for years to prove them wrong, to prove them, hey, that isn't true about us. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not really who I am. It's the reason why some of us are so driven, because we're trying to outrun these voices in our heads. It's because words have this much power in our lives. It's because sticks and stones might break your bones, but like words have the power to get into your soul and absolutely crush you. And listen, the people in Genesis back then understood that not only do words have this sort of negative power in our lives, uh, in the positive sense, when words are used to bless, uh, words and actions of blessing like this, especially when they are spoken by someone above us that we really value, like they have the power to call some things up into us, to, to fan into flame and stir up something that really was in there that might have been laying dormant. These blessings really almost function like prophecies where somebody is given this insight to almost see into the future and say, and this is what I see in you. This is what you can be. This is what's going to happen to you. It it becomes prophetic in a real sense. And look, this still happens the same way today. Like words still have this same sort of power. Blessing still has this same sort of power. Uh, My grandpa was a a pastor and a preacher for decades. Uh, He's retired now. Uh, He started pastoring a church when he was 16 years old. Um, But but one of the things he does now in his retirement that he loves to do is uh, he still watches all of my sermons uh, and calls me every week to give me feedback and critique, uh, which is a whole lot of fun. Uh, And uh, one of of his big critiques uh, constantly is that I need to preach shorter sermons, uh, which unfortunately for you guys, I've not been listening to that critique. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, but, but really, when I was first wrestling through a call to ministry and, and preaching, uh, it was his words of affirmation and encouragement that, that really were kind of one of the major factors in me deciding to even preach my first few sermons uh, and continue to wrestle through this call. Like, I, I so value his voice and his judgment that for him to not only give me my first few opportunities to preach, but, but then to be able to look in and say, hey, you can do this. I think God's calling you to this. I see this in you. I see God doing this in you. You really, you can do this. Like, it called and stirred up some things in me that just weren't there before. I went from being like debilitatingly afraid of public speaking to loving this and wanting to do this. It was prophetic for me for him to say those things and bless me in those ways. I remember a few years ago when I was wrestling through whether or not I should continue to try, fur- try furthering my education, uh, a professor that taught at the college that I went to in Oklahoma and then moved out to Southeastern at the same time uh, that we did when I, started, uh, when I was a student there, uh, a professor that just really had a big influence in my life and has been a mentor. I, I remember distinctly a few years ago uh, sitting in the Bojangles off of 98 in Wake Forest, where all important spiritual conversations take place, uh, and, and I remember kind of laying this out for him, like, should I do this? Should I not? And uh, it was it was his specific words of encouragement and affirmation that I think were probably the deciding factor in me deciding to go for it, because it's like, man, he he's done this, so he knows what it's really like, and, and he knows me. And if he says that I can do this, and he thinks that I can do this, then, then maybe I really can do this. It's like if he thinks I can, then maybe I really can. And so clearly, like, I know I'm not the only one that can point back to things like this in our lives. Clearly, uh, words and blessings like this are incredibly powerful. This is the power of blessing, the power to shape and form and give direction to our lives for years to come. And look, because blessing is this powerful, uh, the next thing we see in this text is that we all need it, that we all need this sort of blessing. Pick back up in the text with me in verse 30. It It says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father... He cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother but when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck so the story is told as if they Jacob and Esau kind of pass each other on the way in and out of the house uh, and so Esau comes in and he gets this food ready and he brings it into his dad so that he can get the blessing from his father not knowing what Jacob has already done uh, but when Isaac realizes what has, gone, what, what has happened, uh, verse 33 says he trembles violently. It's like this, oh no, what have I done type of moment. But then I think it's really interesting what he says at the end of verse 33. Look back down at it again. At the end of this, he says, I blessed him, and yes, and he shall be blessed. Now, I, I think what's going on here is that Isaac comes to the realization that yeah, he was really trying to bless Esau, but in accidentally blessing Jacob, uh, he actually spoke better than he knew. Because Isaac has been working against God's purposes, and it hasn't worked. Right? God sovereignly ensured that the one that he wanted blessed was the one that got blessed. And, and so I think Isaac realizes this, and he tells Esau, like, Esau, he's going to be blessed. Like, God is doing this. We need to stop trying to work against it. Uh, And so he says this, and Esau begins to weep and and get angry about this when he says there's basically no blessing left for him to give. And and I know our first impulse is to feel bad for Esau, like, Jacob stole his blessing. That's kind of shady. And look, it is kind of shady, but we really shouldn't feel bad for Esau. Because if you remember in chapter 25, Esau has already freely chosen to give away his birthright, really similar to this blessing, Uh, for just a bowl of soup. Like, Jacob didn't cheat him out of that. He chose to do that. And, And that's really just kind of, that's getting worked out here. But then on top of that, like Esau is not repenting here in the sense of, God, I've been running away from you. I've been disobedient to you. I haven't been following you. Like, I know that Jacob is the one that this promise is going to come through. And so I'm going to trust your plan and I'm going to trust your purposes. No, he's crying because he's not getting the stuff that he wants. He's not worried about God. He's worried about his life being over. He's worried about having to face the consequences of his actions, not because he sinned against God. And that's not real repentant. And you can tell that Esau is not really repentant even further by how he continues to react as the text goes on. Look at what he says in verse 41, what he decides to do. It says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I'll kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And so Esau's furious, but he makes himself feel better uh, by plotting to kill his brother Jacob as soon as his dad Isaac dies. Uh, but Rebekah finds out about this, and so she sends Jacob away into exile, away to her uh, brother Laban, uh, out of the land, uh, and she says, hey, you just need to go somewhere else. It's just going to be a little while, and then Esau will come down, and, and I'll send back for you, and you can come back. And she's thinking this is probably just going to be like a few weeks. Like Esau will forget about this. He'll cool down. He'll realize like murder is not the right answer to to Jacob stealing his blessing. But look, the reality is that Rebecca is never going to see her son Jacob again. He's going to be out of the land for 20 years. He's going to be in exile for 20 years. And, And so Jacob gets the blessing. But this event totally destroys his family. They are never the same after this. And so I think one of the first applications that this text is bringing out for us is just clearly showing us that the end does not justify the means. God has already said He is choosing Jacob to continue this line. It will come to pass. It doesn't need any help from Rebecca and Jacob to come about. And look, they do ultimately get the blessing for Jacob, but they do it in a sinful way. And doing God's work, but not doing it in God's way, is actually not doing God's work. I mean, the Bible consistently talks about this, that we should not bear false witness, that we should not do evil so that good may come out of it, that the ends do not justify the means. Like, yes, Jacob gets the blessing, but look at what happens to his family as a consequence. Esau wants to kill him. Rebekah will never see him again. He has to go into exile for two years decades and his uncle laban we'll see is going to deceive him just as bad as he deceived his father and his brother like all of these consequences simply from this one sin and this one act of deceitfulness and so i don't want us to miss the consequences like they're, they're real and they stand there as a warning to us but over and above the consequences I want you to see the grace and sovereignty of God in all of this. How God is able to use our mess and our sin and our dysfunction for his good purposes. So, we're going to be saying this a lot as we go through these chapters in the life of Jacob, but it's like you thought your family was dysfunctional. This is a mess, right? You got literal sibling rivalry, murder plots, a dad deceiving his brother, his son, and his wife. Uh, a son and a mom deceiving their old blind husband and father and shadiness all around. Like, and, and the Bible doesn't hide any of it either, right? Like, there's no hero in this story. Everyone is in sin. Everyone is doing wrong. And so why is the Bible so focused on showing us the warts of God's chosen people and family? Because out of everybody on earth, these are the people. Like, this is the family that God is saying, yeah, they're mine. That's who salvation is coming through. And, and so why is the Bible doing this? It's doing this because it's trying to show us that the Bible is not a story about how awesome we are. Uh, it's a story of God's grace in the midst of our sin and stupidity. That no matter how hard we try to screw it up, that we just can't stop God's grace from overcoming our sin. The Bible is trying to show us that salvation is about grace, and it's only about grace. That there's nothing we do, have done, or can do to earn it. Like, Jacob gets this blessing by cheating and deceiving, and yet still God shows him grace. Everyone in this family is a dysfunctional mess, and yet this is the family that the Savior and salvation for the world is going to come through. The Bible, it's all about grace, undeserved favor from God, that God would love and show kindness to screw ups and sinners like Jacob and you and me. And listen, this, this is actually a lesson that it's going to take Jacob his entire life to learn that he doesn't actually have to earn this grace, that he doesn't have to cheat or manipulate his way into it, that you just have to receive it. I think you see this in the need for blessing that he demonstrates throughout this chapter. I mean, think about it. The Bible has already told us that Isaac loved and favorited Esau. And so Jacob's whole life, he had to grow up watching his dad express love for his brother while he treated him like a waste of space. His whole life, Isaac doted on Esau and neglected him, neglected Jacob. How do you think that affected him? Well, we don't have to wonder. We can see how it affected him because what we see in the life of Jacob is that his life is just one big search for blessing. One big search for someone to look in on him and say, yes, I love you. I'm proud of you. I accept you. I approve of you. You're valuable. You matter to me. Because that's what he he heard his dad tell Esau every time Esau prepared him game and what he never heard his dad tell him. He went his whole life up to this moment without his father's approval. And look, even if that isn't your story, even if you had great parents who did a great job of communicating their love for you and their approval of you, I think if you'll step into this story in the way that you're supposed to, you'll resonate with Jacob in this need for blessing because Jacob shows us that we all need this, that we are all looking for this. We're all just like him. We are all looking for someone we deeply value to look on us and say, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're acceptable to me. I approve of you. You matter to me. Like, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you, I'm trying to tell you this is true. Like, we all want this and we are all searching for this because we were made for this. And, And so, what do we do with that? Right? If blessing is this powerful and we all need it, uh, is the application of this text that we just need to bless each other? Now, now listen, it's not like that's wrong. Like it, it is important how you speak to people. And I'll just tell you, most of the time, encouragement and blessing does go a whole lot further than critique and condemnation. You really should use your words to bless and build up others, to speak life into them, and to encourage them for what they could be, to try to call out what you see God doing in them. Like, I want us to do more of this, and I want us to grow in this as a church. So I want us to grow in being able to bless each other and speak life into each other. That's a great way to apply this passage. It's just not enough. Because listen, the scars of people who have used words to hurt us in the past are already there. And even on top of that, even positive blessings of other people don't actually have the ultimate power to satisfy us because they don't have that power because we were made to know the blessing of and to have the approval of the one who matters most. And and look, the problem for us is that we know that in, in, in a very real sense, we actually don't have this, that we have lost this blessing. This sort of blessing is incredibly powerful and we all need it. And so what all of us do is we act just like Jacob. We scheme, we deceive, we disguise ourselves. We hide. We play down our faults. We dress ourselves up. We put on these clothes and act like we're something that we're not to try to get this blessing because we feel like if we can just have someone look in on us and say, you're pretty. You're valuable. You're smart. You're capable. You're enough. You're important. You are a faithful Christian. You're valuable. We'll be satisfied and secure. If we can get somebody to do that, Like it will be enough to justify us. We'll feel like we have meaning And purpose. But look, it just doesn't work because us scheming and hiding and covering up and putting on clothes to try to earn a blessing is always going to make us insecure. We're always going to have imposter syndrome, always going to have this feeling deep down of, man, I don't actually belong here. If they really knew me, they wouldn't feel this way about me. And it's just a matter of time until they realize that I can't hack it and I don't belong here. It's just a matter of time before this blessing gets pulled away from me. You see, so much of our struggle with blessing comes from not feeling secure, from feeling like we do have to hide, we do have to cover up, we do have to dress ourselves up, because we don't actually measure up. But here's the good news that this passage points us to that can put an end to all of that scheming and hiding, why we can actually have the hope of blessing just like Jacob. You see, because just like Jacob... We are sinners who do not deserve the blessing of God. And just like Jacob, we have tried to get the blessing of God in sinful ways. And just like Jacob, we deserve to be judged by God for that sin. But just like Jacob, instead of being judged for our sin, we are given grace and blessing. You know why? Because just like Jacob, when we come to the Father... We don't come on our own. We come clothed in the garments of our older brother, not Esau. We come clothed in the righteousness of our older brother, Jesus. You see, the New Testament says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united to him. We become one with him. And the way it describes that union is by saying that we have put off the old man, Adam, and we have put on the new man, Jesus. We have been given his righteousness like clothes to cover us. And what that means is that now when we stand before God the Father, we don't stand on our own. We stand clothed in the righteous robes of our older brother, Jesus. A righteousness that we didn't have to earn by scheming or cheating or manipulating our way into it. It's just something that he freely gave to us. And so when God the Father looks at you now, he does not see you in your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And even though you are a sinner... You are acceptable to God because of Him and in Him. Listen, this is the great exchange of the gospel that Jesus came to earth and put on our clothes so that we could be given His. You see, the Bible says that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes our sin upon Himself and pays for it, and in return, we get His righteousness as a gift. He's the true Rebecca. He's the one who said on the cross, let your curse fall on me. And it did so that his blessing could fall on us. So that all that is his could become ours. And look, because he has done this, in him we are welcomed by God and we can know God the Father's love, approval, blessing, and favor. And look, this blessing, it's absolutely secure because Colossians says that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. That means that when you put your faith in Jesus, you are so united to Jesus that for God to stop loving you, He would have to stop loving His Son. That's how hidden you are in Him. That's the whole point of the Gospel. That God the Father has sent Jesus His Son to save us and the Spirit of Jesus to come live in our hearts so that Jesus' relationship with the Father might be shared with us. So that we would be sons and daughters of God in and through the Son of God. And so look right at me. Like, if you are in Christ, you really do have the blessing and approval and delight and favor of God the Father. You really do. This blessing is yours. God the Father looks at you. He says, I love you. I approve of you. I accept you. I delight in you and you're mine. This blessing is yours. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to scheme for it. You don't have to manipulate for it. You don't have to trick him into it. You don't have to perform for it. You're just loved by God. You just rest in it. Like, this is what you were made for. This is the blessing that you are seeking for in everything that you're looking for. And this is the only thing that can satisfy your soul. But but if you will believe this, if you will bring this into your heart, like, it can free you up in ways that nothing else can, and it can give you a secure identity. And here's the best thing about this. This is not just something that we're waiting on in the future. This is something that's available to us right now. Paul says in Romans 5 that uh, our suffering produces endurance and character and hope, and that that hope doesn't put us to shame because God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. He says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That means that there are these times when the Spirit of God makes the love of God real to you in your heart in a felt and experienced way, where it moves from just kind of intellectually knowing in your head that God loves you to tasting and seeing and believing in your guts that you really do have the love of God, that He really does love you like this. I've heard it compared to the difference between knowing knowing the fact that honey tastes sweet and actually tasting the sweetness of honey on your tongue. Like the the Spirit, He gives us these times where He makes God's love real and felt and experienced in us. And so I'd encourage you to seek it. Like, look, we we can't obligate God to do anything, but we can ask for this. And, And so I'd encourage you to ask Him. Like, pray for this. Make this a part of your 40 days of prayer as we we engage in 40 days of prayer together as a church. I know I am. I'm just praying. God, would you make your love and your blessing and your acceptance of me so real to me that I'm just freed up from trying to earn it and find it everywhere else? God, would you make your love so real and felt to me that I would know that I'm your son and I would know that I'm secure and I'd stop trying to find those things in other things? God, would you you make your love real to me in a way that would just change everything about my life? So these are the prayers that he loves to answer because we are his daughters and we are his sons. We have his blessing and he loves to bless us. He's a good father who loves to do so. And so let's ask him for it. Let's ask him right now that he would do this. Jesus, uh, God, I, I pray in this moment Thank You, Jesus, for what You have done. How You have come and You have stood in our place and paid for our sin on the cross so that we, like Jacob, could experience the blessing of God the Father. Would You help us to believe in that and rejoice in that and rest in that blessing? Would You help us to know that we don't have to scheme? We don't have to hide. We don't have to dress up. We just rest in Your love. And Father, I pray in this moment even right now as we respond as we come to the table god would you would you make this love real in our hearts would you help us taste and see that you are good that you love us that you are for us that we do have your blessing god please do this in us god we are asking as a people that you would make your love real in our hearts that you would pour out your love in our hearts through the spirit Holy Spirit, that you would bear witness to our spirits right now that we are the children of God. Would you please give us this grace? Father, thank you that you are a good Father who, who we don't have to manipulate, we don't have to cheat, we don't have to try to deceive. You just bestow your blessing and your grace upon us. Thank you for that. God, I pray that, that would change us. That would give us a secure identity and that would free us up in ways that nothing else can. I, I pray that we would there really be an end to all of our searching for blessing and longing for blessing because we would rest in the blessing that you've given us and that we have in you. Would you be gracious to do that among us even right now in this moment? I pray that you would. In your name, amen.